Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone is doing well. Aren't you glad you're out of the rain? feel like building an ark or something as much as it's been raining lately. I don't know about you guys. I was telling one of the gentlemen, this is a good time to watch the game today or to watch a movie. You know, get in and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. We want to welcome you to Arden First. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We are a place where you can belong, believe, and become. I love how that is. It's a place where you can belong even before you believe. But once you believe, God will help you to become all that he wants you to be in Christ. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3. You'll go ahead and turn there. We have a listening guide in your bulletin. You can pull that out. For those of you just joining us, we've been in the gospel of Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're in chapter 3 today. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to fully follow Jesus. Have you ever met anybody that was fully following Jesus, someone that was completely surrendered? I didn't tell my dad I was going to use him as an illustration, but my dad is one of those people that I could say is fully following Jesus. Um, I'm the youngest of six kids, most of you know this, and we had the opportunity growing up to see a dad that would sit in his chair reading the Bible every day. And now that he's retired, guess what his favorite hobby is? Reading the Bible even more every day. So he reads the Bible more than anyone I've ever met. Um, Another gentleman that um, I met that's fully followed Christ his whole life. He's in heaven now. His name was Bill Kishner, and he was a businessman that did very well, and he retired in his 50s. And part of his ministry was to help other ministers, and I was one of those ministers he would encourage and help. And every year he would send me and a group of 30 pastors to Orlando for training and ministry conference, and he would just encourage us and minister to us, and his ministry was to minister to the pastors. And um, a few years ago, he passed away, and he was on the mission field. He, what a way to go out. He was uh, sleeping on someone's couch, and they found him dead in the morning. He had died on the mission field as a retired businessman to serving the Lord. So I just want, I want you to think about those people that have made an indelible impact upon your life. Those people that, when you look at them, they change the trajectory of your life. John the Baptist is one of those gentlemen. So before we begin in the word, let's begin in prayer. Father, the worship was so powerful. And we thank you that Holy Spirit is in this place for where two or three are gathered in your name. You're in the midst. Father, we pray the Holy Spirit would fill us as believers. So with that being said, we we confess our sins to you, God, and we pray for your forgiveness. We lay aside our worries and cares. I know many came into this church today with worries and cares and anxieties. And right now, we lay those at your feet and pray that you would help us with those. Father, as we look into your word, help us to understand it and help us to be fully changed through the renewing of our minds. And Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Change lives and change hearts. We bind the work of the enemy in the name of Jesus, and we pray that Christ would be lifted up and exalted in our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you turn to Luke 3... Just a little preview, we're going to talk about a rugged individual whose wardrobe was a little questionable. He wore a hairy garment, I think made of camel, uh, camel fur. Um, his diet was even more questionable. We know from parallel gospels he ate bugs and honey. I guess if you're going to eat bugs, you might as well dip them in honey, I'm assuming. Um, very, very interesting. His ministry was not in a great place. Of, you think of renown, it wasn't in the... 
a giant pulpit or a giant church. His ministry was in the wilderness. But God was using him so mightily that people were coming from everywhere to see this, this wild man dressed in camel's fur, eating bugs and honey, preaching a message of repentance. So that being said, we're going to read John, or Luke 3, verses 1 through 20, as we talk about John the Baptist. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tretrarch of Idurea, and the region of Trachonitius, and Licinius, Tretrarch of Abilene. While Caiaphas and Annas were the high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the mission of sins. As it is written in the books of the word of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. Now, for those of you who are ministers, I wouldn't advise you using the same verbiage of John the Baptist, but he had a different ministry. Listen to what he said. Brood of vipers. He says, you're as evil as a snake. <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to, to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked them, saying, and what shall we do? And he said, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to them all, I indeed baptize with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean, clean out the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the Tretrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. May God bless his word. So you see a rugged individual with a raw message. Have you ever met anybody that was kind of a little raw in their communication? They weren't Appalachian friendly? It's interesting. How many of you are from other parts of the country other than North Carolina? Okay. How many of you are from the north? Raise your hand. All right, we love people from the north. Um, 
Have you ever noticed in certain areas they're more blunt than others? I'll give you an example. I lived in Texas for a while when I was going to seminary, and one thing that hurt my feelings is how blunt people were. I would ask something, and they would respond just straight up, and I'm like, in Appalachia, we sugarcoat everything. We don't tell you always exactly what's on our mind. We try to package it. So uh, if you've ever been other places that they tell you like it is, it's, it's, it's an adjustment. So John the Baptist was a guy who told it like it was. There was no sugarcoating. There was no your best life now. There was no prosperity teaching. It was you repent or there's judgment. So what do we make of John the Baptist? What do we make of someone who's fully following Jesus? Now, it may not look exactly the same. Hopefully you guys won't be as blunt as he is. Please. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's some, there's some characteristics we can take from him that apply to our lives in 2018. The first one is this. I must focus on God's word above what is happening in my world. If you look at verses 1 and 2, Luke lists seven different leaders. Five are political and two are religious. And if you look at these you know, his leaders, just to name a few, he talks about Tiberius Caesar. He talks about Pontius Pilate. You know, he's the guy that was part of Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, Herod Antipas, according to history, Herod was so crazy. I mean, if he didn't like you, he would kill you. He actually killed, I believe, one of his wives, three of his children, if I remember. And one of the historians said it was better to be Herod's pig than Herod's family member because he took better care of his pigs than his his people. Um, You look at Philip, that was Herod's brother. And we'll see in verses uh, 18 and 19, there was a little family scandal. Uh, Herod wanted Philip's wife, so he took her. And all this drama took place. And we see later in the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptist lost his head off rebuking him. Uh, we see uh, some spiritual leaders, Annas and Caiaphas. We see them in the narrative of the Passion Week when uh, Jesus was being on trial and crucified. So you look at these seven leaders mentioned. Have you ever noticed that we name our children after the heroes of the Bible? You know, Mary, Peter, Paul, James. Um, Philip, Timothy, all the different people in the Bible, we name our children after that, but we name our dogs after Caesar. (laughs) We name our dogs after Herod. You ever notice that? So the people that had the ultimate power are the same ones we name our dogs after. What does that tell you? In the kingdom of God, it's backward. Those who have all power here, and it's all about themselves, a hundred years from now, they won't really matter. Only what is done for Christ will last. So I think looking at the first two verses when it names these seven leaders, my big, biggest takeaway is that people come and go, politicians change, religious leaders come and go. But notice John the Baptist preached the word. The word of God will live forever. Amen. And that's my heart at Arden from our Sunday school teachers to our children's ministry to here. We're just going to teach the word of God in a way that's loving and relevant. Because people still want the truth. We're not going to water it down. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're just going to tell you the way God wants us to tell you so that you, your life can be changed. Amen. But notice in verse, look back at verse number 2. It says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the what? Wilderness. 
Do you find it fascinating that God often speaks to us in the wildernesses of life? Many of you today are in a wilderness. A wilderness is a place that's not desirable from a human standpoint. It's a place of isolation, a place of loneliness, a place of, God, what are you doing? But notice the word of God came to John in the wilderness. I find it very intriguing that God often speaks the loudest when I'm lonely. God often comes when you're depressed. God often comes when you least expect it. If you look on your listening guide, I list seven different wildernesses that you and I will most likely go through in our journey. The first one is the wilderness of loneliness. In the very beginning, God said it's not good that man should be alone. And that's still the same. So some of you, you've lost a spouse, you've went through a divorce, um, you're, you're, you're single and you're wondering, you know, where, where, where am I going to get community? The wilderness of loneliness is where you wish you had more friends, more people in your life, and that's a lonely, lonely place. Another wilderness is the wilderness of brokenness. Have you ever been in a season of your life where you just felt broken? You, you try to go to counselors, you try to get help, you try to ask people to be there for you, but it just, there was a sense of brokenness, and it seemed like nothing could fix it. What about the wilderness of lost, when you've lost someone in your life, where you've lost a job, where you've lost a dream? Whenever we lose things, that's a lonely place. What about the wilderness of depression? Many of us have been through seasons and even long periods of depression, and that's a real thing. How do you get through depression? What do you do when your joy has turned to sorrow? What about the wilderness of apathy? You started off as a young woman or a young man full of passion and zeal and vigor. And now you're just not passionate about anything. It's hard for you to get out of bed in the morning. What happens when you experience apathy? What about the wilderness of rejection? All of us, without a doubt, have experienced rejection in life. It's kind of like when you don't get picked for that sports team or you get picked last or you're overlooked for a promotion at work. Feeling of rejection is really hard. What about the wilderness of trial and temptation whenever you're being tested or you're being tempted? And you don't know why, but it seems like every day a bigger trial or a severe temptation comes your way. These are seven wildernesses that you face. But the good news is, in the midst of your wilderness, God can meet you where you're at. In the midst of your isolation, your brokenness, your depression, whatever the enemy means for evil, I want you to remember the words of Joseph. You know the story of Joseph, how he was rejected, how he was abandoned. He was thrown in the pit. He ended up in prison. All this stuff happened. And fast forward many years later, his brothers come before him. It was almost 20 years, not quite 20 years later. But he said, what you meant for evil, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. And that's what I call a biblical reframing it. Instead of seeing it as you dirty dogs, you betrayed me, you sold me. You know, I would be so much further down the life if it wasn't for you. Joseph didn't say that, but what did he say? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So what if looking at loneliness, brokenness, depression, loss, um, feelings of anxiety, what if God wants to work in and through that and bring good? What if God wants to bring beauty out of ashes? What if in your wilderness God's going to meet you where you're at? So what I want to encourage you, we see things sometimes wrongly. We see weakness as bad. 
Now, I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm talking about weakness where you feel lonely or you've been hurt. What if God's strength is made perfect in your weakness? What if God meets you in a mighty way where you never would experience it otherwise? What if your depression one day turns into joy? What if your sense of loss turns into a sense of gain? What if your sense of apathy turns into passion again? If you're willing to turn to God completely in the wilderness, He can use that. And God's Word will come to you in that moment. Amen. All right, I better speed up. That's just the first two verses. (laughs) All right, the second thing we can learn from a fully devoted follower of Jesus, someone that's sold out, is I must have truly a heart change that leads to a life change. I must truly have a change of heart that leads to a life change. If you look at verses 13 through 14 here, uh, what's fascinating is while John is in the wilderness, everybody's coming to him. I was looking at the distance. We're going to talk about Jesus next week in his baptism. But from where Jesus was to where John was, I read one place it was around 70 miles for Jesus to come to get baptized. So think about the wilderness. Why would people come to you in the wilderness? Why would people go out in the middle of nowhere to hear? I think there's a few application points. Is People are hungry for truth. So they're willing to travel far distance to hear truth. Um, one of the things I want to bring to your attention is John's baptism. It talks about a baptism of what? Repentance. Now, something that can easily get confused is what was John's baptism and you know, what was the baptism we face? Well, John's baptism was one of anticipation. It was anticipating the Messiah. So, John's baptism was looking forward to Jesus. Our baptism it looks back upon Christ. And we see this in the book of Acts where they run into uh, some of John's disciples And they had only known about John, and that was a baptism of repentance. But that was looking forward to the Savior. And what happened in the book of Acts? They had to say, well, Jesus has come. He's the Messiah, so you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So the baptism of John was was one of repentance. Now, a little, little misunderstanding about baptism. A lot of people think baptism washes away your sins, or baptism saves you. Baptism is simply a symbol. It's an outward symbol of the inward change. Baptism doesn't save you, it's just a testimony or a picture that you are saved. I heard a story about a man that was, he went down to the altar to pray with his pastor. And he, this guy would repeat the same prayer almost every Sunday. He would say, God, I want you to clear out the cobwebs. God, clear out the cobwebs. And the pastor finally got tired of the same prayer and he said, God, I want you to kill the spider. A lot of times we try to clear out the cobwebs but we don't kill the spider. You ever notice that? If you, if you clear out the cobwebs, as long as the spider's there, the cobwebs keep coming back. So what John the Baptist was trying to do here is he was trying to say repentance is not just clearing out the cobwebs. Repentance is getting rid of the spider. Repentance is a change of mind with a change of direction. In the military, how many of you served in the military? Raise your hand. Okay, I got a few. Military, they would say an about face, and what would that mean? You would turn this way. So the idea is I'm going this way, my own way, and I hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, how wonderful He is, how He wants to save me and change me, and when I turn to God, I'm turning away from the old lifestyle. So the problem with a lot of Christians is we say that we've turned toward God, but we're still so much like this old lifestyle, there's no difference. So what John the Baptist would say is true repentance is not just feeling sorry for your sins, but it's going the other direction. 
It's turning toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look at verses 4 through 6, John the Baptist was preparing the way of Jesus for our world. Now he quotes Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. And the idea about making level the road and making the pathway straight, this was the imagery of a king who was coming into town. You wouldn't want just him to walk through these rocky, rocky hills and you know, a way that was crooked and briars. You would want to clear the way for the king. So the John the Baptist was a forerunner who was trying to clear the way for Jesus. And his main message was repent and believe the gospel. And this was evidence through a baptism of repentance. Now, back on the subject of baptism, I want to speak to the ladies. Like, why is, it, why is John going off on baptism? What's the reason? Ladies, how would you feel if your husband-to-be said, I want to marry you, but I don't want to wear a wedding band, and I don't want to do a public ceremony? It's, just, it's a private nature of the heart. As long as you know I'm committed, we can do it at the courthouse. We don't need anyone coming. Just me and you. But after we say I do, I don't want anyone to know about it. We're not status on Facebook. I'm still going to say um, we can hold hands, but you know I don't want anyone to know we're married. How would you respond to that, ladies? Stephanie, you're getting ready to get married. What would you say? Like, no way, right? Well, here's the thing about baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm making a public stance that I'm here for Christ. So, I would highly encourage you, if you're a Christian, never been baptized, the only person I know of in the Bible that wasn't baptized was a thief on the cross. And he couldn't because he was dying. So everyone that accepted Christ went through with baptism. And that was basically telling the world, listen, I'm a new creation. So what is, what is, what's symbolic about baptism? Well, in our church, we have two ordinances. We have baptism and we have communion. Now, baptism, the first ordinance, happens after a person receives Christ. And whenever someone goes under the water, what does that symbolize? They're, they're dead to themselves. It's the old life. This is me, but now I'm dead. And whenever they go under, it's like Jesus was died and buried. And I have a new policy. I hold you under the water for three seconds because Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Just kidding. Some of you are like, whoa, whoa, I'm not getting baptized. That's a new one, right? You've got to hold your breath for three seconds. One, two, three. Wait, no, we don't do that. But the idea is Jesus was buried and then he resurrected. And we're doing a gospel presentation class on Wednesday night uh, in my group. And we talked about if you don't talk about the resurrection, you haven't presented the full gospel. Jesus died, but he rose again. So whenever you come up from the water, it's symbolic of the new life in Christ. So that's why the baptism is so important because it testifies, listen, I'm not just dating Jesus, I'm married to him. It's, 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 it's a done deal. I'm fully followed. So John the Baptist singled out several people. If you look at verses, I think it's verse 10 and following on your listening guide, he says, um, first of all, he calls them brood of vipers. <laughs> That's tough. And then he, the people answered, what shall we do then? And I think that's, that's a really good question. What shall we do? Okay, if, if God is a God that we're not to take lightly, the axe is at the root of the tree, there's judgment coming, what should we do? And basically, in essence, um, he tells people to be generous, to be honest, and be content. Be generous, honest, and content. So the two groups he singles out, if you'll notice in the text, are tax collectors and soldiers. Why do you think John singled out those two groups? 
First of all, tax collectors, were they beloved of the people or were they despised of the people? They were despised, right? And soldiers, you may think that generally they're considered honorable, but in this time, who was occupying Jerusalem? Foreign soldiers, right? So John called out the two groups that were the most despised and said, listen, if you really want to follow Jesus, what you need to do is you need to truly have a change of life. So he's not saying that you're saved by your works, but he's saying if you turn to Christ, your life's going to change. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but truly saved people are truly changed people. It's kind of like this. If the person of the Holy Spirit moves inside of you, don't you think your life will change? It's not going to be the same. So, first of all, in verses 11 through 13, he talks to the tax collectors. He says, practice generosity and get rid of greed. It talks about two tunics. Didn't you find that interesting? If you have two tunics, give one away. What is he saying? Well, in that day and time, you'd have an under tunic, undergarment, and an outer one. So he says if someone doesn't have any clothes, you can get rid of one. Be generous and don't take more money than what's needed. Um, if, you, if you go, verse 14, he talks to the soldiers. He's saying learn the art of contentment and kindness. He said, don't muscle your way. Don't take advantage of people just because you have a position. Be content with your pay. Now, what, it's just a question I was thinking about this week. If John the Baptist was here, Arden First Baptist, and he was speaking in 2018, what do you think he would say to our congregation? Let's make it bigger. If he was talking to an American culture, what do you think John the Baptist would say his message? We could go a long list. I just wrote down a few things for the American culture. First thing is materialism. Materialism, money, things don't make you happy. Now, it's okay to have stuff as long as your stuff doesn't have you, right? So I think John the Baptist would say, listen, you know, this greed stuff, you've got to get rid of it. Practice generosity instead of greed. I think John the Baptist would call out marital fidelity. If you're married, be faithful to your spouse until death do your part. If you're not married, make a commitment starting today to have sexual purity until you do get married. That's not popular but I think it's something that John would call out. What about ministry? Whatever you do for Christ is only that which lasts. So if you're going to serve God, do it for God and for His glory. You remember John's quote in, later on, He must increase and I must decrease. Number three, the, the third principle of being fully devoted follower in Christ. And I, we get this so clearly from John. I must always keep the focus on Jesus when others want to focus on me. I must always keep the focus on Jesus when others want to focus on me. Look at verse 15. He says, Now as the people were in expectation, talking about they were looking for the Messiah, and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. Verse 16, John answered and said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Some of you may have heard the story of Christian Herter. He was a governor of Massachusetts back in the day. And he had been running his campaign where he was busy all day long, morning and night. And this particular day, he was ravenously hungry, gentlemen. He had skipped breakfast. He had skipped lunch. And his last route for his political campaign was this uh, chicken dinner. I believe it was at a church or one of these public facilities. So he went through the line and he was just hungry. You ever been so hungry, your stomach's growling? And you're like, pardon me. I mean, he just was ravenously hungry. 
So he went through the line, and the lady that was serving was handing out the chicken breasts, and so she gave him this chicken breast. He looked down on it and said, Ma'am, please, can I just have one more? And she said, Sorry, son. One piece of chicken per person. I'm sorry. And generally, the governor wasn't very generally this forceful or, you know, pull card, but he said, ma'am, I, I really haven't ate. I'm hungry. She said, sorry. And he said, well, do you know who I am? And she said, no. He said, I am the governor of Massachusetts. And she said, well, do you know who I am? He said, no. I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Get going. <laughs> so she understood her place. And unfortunately, he didn't understand his. The beauty about John the Baptist is he knew his place. He didn't pull rank. He didn't say, I'm the greatest prophet. Um, he didn't say any of this. He didn't say, you know, he, he said, listen, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just the one preparing the way. I'm the forerunner. And he quoted from Isaiah. And I think it's easy in life, in family, in business, and in ministry, it's easy to take credit for what God's doing. So here's a principle. Whenever somebody points the finger towards you, it's okay to say thank you, but you've got to point right back to Jesus. Amen. And I think we can really learn this about John the Baptist. When someone thanks you for your ministry, thank you for your service, it's okay to say thank you, but remember the tension always goes back to who? To Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything. I read a story recently, I heard a story recently about John Calvin, the reformer. Uh, what, what marked me is it was back in the 1500s. Uh, he was starting to decline in health, and he, he rebound, recovered, went back to his teaching, preaching ministry. And it was in February of uh, 1564, um, he began to really experience such sickness. He couldn't lecture anymore, he couldn't preach. And John knew in his day that most people would remember him beyond his lifetime. He just had that sense. So as he was fading away, he died uh, just a few months before, his, uh, a few weeks before he turned 55. And this really shocked me. He asked the people to bury him in an unmarked grave. Because he didn't want people to celebrate his life or anything about him. He wanted the attention to be upon Jesus. So he was buried in an unmarked grave. One of the great reformers of our day. Now think about that. How... How amazing is that? Most people, when they're famous or whatever, they want to get the biggest tombstone and the biggest acknowledgments. And Calvin said, listen, I want to be in an unmarked grave. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Now, shouldn't we have that same attitude? It's not about us. It's about Christ. Number four, final point. I must have healthy fear of God. If you look at verses 17 through 20 in this text, it talks about the winnowing fan in his hand thoroughly cleansing the threshing floor, the wheat and the tares. And the idea was a farmer would throw up wheat into the air with this big fork and the wind would blow the tear away from the wheat and the wheat would survive and the tear would be blown away or would be burned up. So the imagery is this. If we respond to God's message of forgiveness and repentance, we're going to be okay. We're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and the, the fire for the Christian is like the fire of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Now, for the person who rejects Christ, who refuses to turn away and says, you know, I can do it on my own, it says that the baptism is going to be with fire. And for the person who rejects Christ, it's talking about the fiery judgment. And that's not popular in church, but we have to say 
The only hope for humanity is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. If we reject that, there's a fiery judgment that awaits us. And we just really have to test ourselves and make sure we are of the faith. Because I would rather be baptized with the Holy Spirit and His fire than the fiery judgment of God. Amen. I read a story about the king of Hungary. Um, He was a, a Christian. He was a believer. This is many years back. But he found himself convicted of his sin. And he didn't know what to do, so he called his brother. And his brother was the jovial, happy-go-lucky type. And he told his brother, I, I'm fearful of, of my sin and judgment because I, I don't know, you know, I feel this guilt. And his brother just laughed and said, you know, don't worry about it. Just be happy, you know, that, that typical thing. So the king did something unthinkable. In those days, it was customary to have the executioner sound a trumpet right before you're going to be executed. Now, can you imagine someone outside your door blowing a trumpet and you knew that's the executioner? So the king of Hungary sent the executioner late at night to his brother's house. And he had them blow the trumpet, signaling that his brother was soon to be executed. And his brother woke up, got dressed, and was just so fearful. So they brought his brother into the presence of the king. And his brother was trembling. and like, what have I done to offend you? And he said, why are you fearful of me, but you're not fearful of God? And he taught his brother a lesson that day that it's, it's, God is not someone we're to take lightly. So having fear of God for the believer is a holy reverence. For the non-believer, it's realizing if I don't accept Christ, there's a fiery judgment awaiting me. So in conclusion, I just want to encourage you. John the Baptist has taught us so much. Now, you may not be able to relate to his style. Uh, ladies especially can't relate to his wardrobe. Some of you can't, may relate to his brash nature. Other of us can't. Well, I want you to relate to his life. Today we talked about focusing on God's Word above what's happening in your world. People come and people go, but God and His Word stand forever. We talked about having a change of heart that leads to a change of life. If you are a believer, has there been a discernible change in your life? You're not saved by any works. You're saved by faith alone through grace alone, in Christ alone. But has there been a change in your life? We must always keep our focus on Jesus, even when others want to focus on us. So if you ever get any accolades or attaboys, girls, it's okay to say thank you, but remember to say, guess what? God's the one. God is good. And finally, we need to have a healthy fear of God. Our world is devoid of a healthy fear of God. Don't take God lightly. Because one day we will all have to stand before His throne and give account. For the believer, your, your, your debt's been paid. You don't have to worry about that type of judgment. But you will be judged based upon your works, whether you get a reward or not. For the person that's never received Christ, repented of their sins, and you stand before God, the question He's going to ask you is, what did you do with Jesus? Did you accept Christ or did you deny Him? To summarize this in the take-home truth, to fully follow Jesus is to fully surrender my heart which impacts every part of my life. Have you surrendered every part to Christ? Let us pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. And God, we know Your Word's not always politically correct. We know it's not always a feel-good. But Lord, we want the truth. We want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So Father, as the believers pray, and I'm not going to ask any believer to raise their hand, but if God has spoken to you about one of these points, about being fully surrendered, maybe you're not focused on God's Word, 
Maybe you haven't had as much life change as you, you think you should. Maybe your, your focus is on yourself and not on Jesus. Maybe you've lost your healthy fear of God. If, if any one of those points stuck out to you, just right where you're sitting, do business with God. Say, God, help me to turn my focus back on your word. God, help me to have a healthy fear of you. God, help me to trust in you in all things. And while the believers pray, if there be one here today that has never accepted Christ, as I mentioned, when you stand before God, the question is, what did you do with Jesus? If you've never asked Jesus into your life, never repented of your sins, right where you're sitting, say a prayer of faith in your own words like this, Jesus, I realize I don't want to live life on my own. One day I'll have to stand before you and I want to be able to say, yes, I accepted Jesus. So right now, Jesus, I pray that you would come into my life. I'm willing to turn from my sin and go the other direction. I know it's not going to be easy, but I know you'll help me. So, Father, forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, I ask you to make me a new person and give me a new life. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you so much for all you've done and all you're going to do. And we give you glory, honor, and praise. And all God's children said, Amen. This time, our ushers are going to come forward as we get ready for our tithes and offerings. Um, during the hymn of response, we're going to do things a little differently today. I'm going to ask Judy and Adam to be in the back. Uh, I'm going to have an opportunity for you guys to have prayer in the back if you have any prayer, prayer needs. So uh, right after the ushers come, there will be some music, and we're just going to be in the back to pray with you as, as the Lord leads. But as the ushers come forward, um, I just want to encourage you guys. God is really moving in this church. Um, he's doing some great things. If you guys are free Tuesday night, just a few upcoming uh, special things. We're having a global missions conference through the North Carolina Baptists. And we're expecting around 300 people from churches all across Western North Carolina to come. And many of these people are involved in missions. Maybe they do the Baptist men. Maybe they're women on mission. Um, involved in missions in some way. And they're coming here to Arden first. So we have an opportunity to love on these people who are going to have kingdom impact locally and all around the world. So if you are available, that starts um, at 6, and the program's at 6.50, but we need volunteers, greeters, ushers, um, things of that nature. So we'd encourage you to uh, come see me or Stephen, one of the leaders, and we'll help find you a place. Another thing to keep in prayer about, as many of you know, we're, we're talking about missions and outreach. We're, we're preparing to launch a 9.30 service uh, when, when the time's right, and part of our heart is to reach our community. As you know, there just within miles of this church are around over 50,000 unchurched people that need to be reached. So the, the elders, the council, uh, the staff were all praying that God would use this church to impact lostness in our community. So begin to pray about that as we prepare. Uh, we're getting a launch team together, and when the time's right, we're going to have kind of like an outreach service for the community at 930. So you guys keep that in your prayer. If you will, please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you're doing amazing things. And God, oh, to be like John the Baptist, not necessarily in his personality, but in his purpose. Help us to be fully devoted followers of you. Help us to fully surrender our heart and every area of our life for Christ. Lord, thank you that your word has been proclaimed both in Sunday school and in worship, through the music, through the message. God, I pray that we'd leave this place not just informed, but transformed. 
God, we pray over the offerings that you use them. God, as we get ready for this missions conference on Tuesday, we want to be able to minister to all the ministers. We want to encourage those who are doing ministry around the world. So thank you for using this church. And God, as we pray as a church body how we can reach our community more effectively with a new service that's more outreach-oriented, um, we just pray that you would help us as we prepare for that. We love you and we thank you. And all God's children said, amen.